The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We're joined for the week trending by Aoife Barry, a journalist and author of Social Capital, and by Larkin Nine, Head of Training at the Communications Clinic. But before we talk to them, we talk a little bit about the funeral of Shane McGowan, which is still ongoing in the St. Mary of the Rosary Church in Nina at present. It started at half three. I don't think it's anywhere near been finished. Uh, there, we'll talk about all of those who have been there and who have contributed. But I want to play a little bit of music from it because there has been, uh, after communion, there was a live performance of The Fairy Tale of New York by Glenn Hansard, Lisa O'Neill and the Pogues. So let's hear it in full. Was Christmas
some performance at a funeral, isn't it? Eva Barry, Glenn Hansert, Lisa O'Neill and the Pugs are, they must have been under some pressure to get that right at Shane McGowan's funeral in the last half hour or so. I know, can you imagine the, such an iconic song and, you know, performing at his funeral, paying tribute to the song that really kind of uh, made him in a way that, like, everybody associates with him. But I, I think somebody like Lisa O'Neill, having her there, she's such an amazing um, vocalist and really, really suits that song. And, yeah, looking at the video of that too, there was a kind of gathering up near the stage they're performing, or um, up near the altar, should I say. And um, at one stage, you'd like Liam and Wayne Lee were whipping out a tin whistle, you know, playing the song, playing along. I, I love the, the way you there nearly went for stage <laughs> instead of altar. I know, yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, this, this funeral is, if it was a very sad, um, sedate funeral, it wouldn't be Shane McGowan's funeral because he was a hellraiser from day one and he was someone who pushed back against tradition. And I'm sure the priest, um, uh, Father Pat Gilbert, you know, presumed that it wasn't going to be a traditional funeral he was getting. And he was getting, you know, the cream of the crop of Ireland's, you know, uh, kind of celebrity rock musicians there performing and paying tribute um, to Shane as well as yeah, Johnny Depp and the likes. I suppose roughly you get two types of funeral, don't you? You get some are very, very sad because there's a lot of grief and despair at the loss of a person, maybe unexpectedly or young. And then some turn into wonderful celebrations that although you still miss the person and you're going to miss them in the future, there's just this feeling that their life deserves celebration. And this would appear to be the latter. Yeah, and look, and the idea that, you know, funerals are in, in, in many ways for, for the living. You know, they're they're for the people who and they want to mourn in their own way. And then this is, is a way to mourn uh, Shane McGowan. I think what is, I think what struck me from watching it is that it's a lovely example of when you can mix the, the, the religious and the spiritual with the personal and with the personality of the person. And I think there's been a bit of a move in some churches to, you know, not have eulogies or only the eulogy by the priest and not by an individual and you have to have it by the graveyard. And I think actually this is a much better example of where the church can still have a role within within Ireland as yeah. Ireland moves on. That you as can as combine a sort the of personal. a facilitator, is as it? As a facilitator that the religious is still there. There were still religious mm-hmm. elements to this. There were still readings and there were still prayers of the faithful, but that you're still then facilitating the personal element of it as well. And you can keep those two elements of Irishness together. And this was a celebration. I, I just don't get this thing about saying that you can't have family members or friends delivering the eulogy because I've been at funerals where the priest has delivered a eulogy where clearly has no real knowledge of the person who yeah. has just died. And it's almost an insult, this thing that the priest said, well, this is my stage or altar and I'm going to actually be the one who speaks, even if they cannot reflect adequately the person who is being buried. Yeah, and it's a misunderstanding that, that obviously the church has a role and they, you know, they, have, they have a role with, within mourning and a role within grief, but it, they're not the only person who has a role. And obviously there is a personal element to it too. So I find it very frustrating when you're at funerals and when that happens as well, when family members do want to speak and they're not able to. But anyway, this was, I think, an example of them getting it right um, and that allowing and, and facilitating the, the personal with the religious, I, I thought was, 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 a, was a nice moment. And it is... Nice viewing. And I found the whole scenes around Dublin today quite moving as yeah. well. The fans out there, there are very few, there are very few almost public funerals that don't come from, tra- like, obviously it is a tragedy when somebody dies, but doesn't come from an unexpected tragedy. Um, and there's a public outpouring um, for Shane McGowan on the streets where people are singing. And I think when you hear the fairy tale in New York there, you do realise that just because some, a song becomes popular, becomes very overplayed, yeah. doesn't stop it being an absolutely beautiful, amazing, like, artistically yeah. worthy song. Yeah. as well.
Definitely, it's still a, still a, still a really impactful song because it's really dark. It's a really dark Christmas song, you know, about two members of the diaspora in London, you know, trying to trying to get by. Now, tell us who was there because I believe Bono was supposed to be there but couldn't mm. be there but was still there because he recorded a reading which was shown on the video screen. Yes, they played a video of Bono. I think he's in Las Vegas maybe at the moment. They've got all those gigs on in the sphere. Uh, Johnny Depp was there. He um, gave a prayer of, of the faithful. Um, you had people like Aidan Gillen there as well. I think he spoke... Um, and you also had Nick Cave as well. Um, he played, I can't remember what song he played, but he, he played um, a song as well. Dirty Old Town, I think, was what he he played on the piano there too. Um, and you also had, obviously, the members of the Pogues. You had like Whiter Reardon and, and Spider Stacey. Um, you had Liam Wainley, um, John Sheehan as well uh, from the Dubliners. So like there was a really big gathering of people. And the fact that you have those kind of iconic figures like Nick Cave and Johnny Depp there, they're kind of part of that like, you know, hell-raising rock kind of um, era where they're really incredible, um, to talk about Nick Cave, really incredible lyricists just like Shane McGowan and he really connected with people like Nick Cave and also like Johnny Depp, you know, who's a controversial figure um, over the fact that they love the kind of carousing that goes with the kind of rock and roll lifestyle. Well, let me play one other clip from the funeral mass and this is Aidan Gillen who, of course, is one of our best-known actors from The Wire and various other things. Uh, reading from the Book of Revelations, and after Nick Cave sang Rainy Night in Soho, oh, accompanied sorry, by Colm McCummera and Glenn Hansard and many other Irish musicians. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And now we have Nick. for Shane McGowan, which is still ongoing in Nina in County Tipperary. We're joined by Lorca Nine and Aoife Barry for the week trending and we'll get to the other stories of the week and also to our Clayton Hotels competition after this. Oh, let's return to the week trending with Aoife Barry and Lorca Nine and Aoife, Taylor Swift, Person of the Year, according to Time magazine. How could she be the most influential, significant person of the year? You're not a Swifty, Matt. 
No. Do I look like I would be? <laughs> I'll listen to I've seen her in concert. I've been well, I've been go. live in concert, but I mean person of the year. <laughs> I know, and it is quite controversial because Vladimir Zelensky was time person of the year after the invasion of Ukraine uh, by Russia and obviously this year we've had uh, the horrendous ongoings in Gaza and people are questioning well, what about for example the, the journalists that are literally on the scene that we're following on uh, Instagram and social media that are giving us all of the do- updates in a deadly, deadly situation. So why aren't they person of the year as opposed to somebody like Taylor Swift? I guess Taylor Swift from a business point of view and a cultural impact point of view is one of the people of the year. I mean, she her, her Iris tour is going to make her about $1 billion. And she has toured all over the world except Ireland. Um, and she is someone who has had a huge, like a massive cultural impact on particularly kind of Gen Z, but also some millennials also too. And she's just a person who has a which was a hold over people. You know, she is a kind of a phenomenon. Um, and it's so interesting seeing that impact now in terms of how many people she can get to pay huge amounts of money to go to see her, you know, who will go swap the, the, the friendship bracelets that care about her so much that they, some people are, you know, abusing people on Twitter for suggesting she doesn't deserve to be person of the year. Um, so yeah, it is the year of Taylor Swift. And we've also seen her relationship with the American football star Travis Kelsey get people into American football <laughs> in the US, which is quite an achievement too. Hold on a second. You're trying to tell me that just because Taylor Swift is dating an American football star that people are getting into American football, the biggest sport in that country. I know, it is actually getting some people who are not normally into that sport into it. I mean, look, I'm not someone who's a Swifty myself, so I'm saying... Geez, you sound a bit like an Aoife. Well, you know what? Yeah, like, I I find it interesting. I saw her compared. She's compared to Joni Mitchell in that Time magazine article, and as a mega Joni Mitchell fan, I was like, what? How dare you? She's nothing like Joni Mitchell. But she is a massive... Icon for a lot of she's a pop icon. Larkin, what does she do for you? I have absolutely uh, no taste in music, Matt. Right, so the fact that so we you love Taylor music Swift. stories, anybody who knows me, listen to this, be like, how is Larkin on the music <laughs> slot in the last word uh, now? But uh, I, I don't get the dismissiveness of it, though. I mean, her cultural impact is absolutely massive. This is effectively a US award. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. personal, year, but it's a US yeah. award. So you look at the impact in the US, and then how. You know, globally impact via the, the lens of the US. So she's a massive cultural impact, massive financial impact, a huge, huge figure. And also, I don't think there's anything wrong about when an artist winning the most influential person of the year and from me looking back through it I think she is the first artist in any way shape or form to have won the award and I think that's probably long overdue I mean I think we're seeing this week I mean art has a massive massive impact on people's lives be it music be it theatre be it anything has a huge impact on people's lives and just because you're not a politician and bringing out legislation doesn't mean you don't have a huge impact and I think in many ways long lasting art has a bigger impact on people than kind of day to day Mm. political decisions that might happen so it's not most important person not most worthy person, it's most influential person. I think there's an absolute argument made for Taylor Swift. Okay, let's move to other things. What do you make, uh, Lorcan, of Gardy wearing baseball caps? I'm not a fan of it, Matt. Why not? I am not a fan of the old-fashioned traditionalist, are you? Old-fashioned traditionalist, absolutely. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the move with the Gardy uniforms to move away from the formal um, to the functional, which is what has happened. Um, There is a function... Sorry, do you think it diminishes authority? I think it in a way diminishes authority and, and I think that there is a function to how they dress with hats and how they used to dress and the connection it has to the history of, of the police force so or police service. The In the 1930s when commercial airlines started flying there is a reason why they realised they needed to dress their pilots like Navy officers which Pan Am decided to do because they realised people needed to respect pilots they needed to trust them they needed to feel like they were in good safe hands so they dressed them 
like Navy officers. There was a reason for that. It also, I imagine, made people more likely to want to be pilots. So, because you get to, you get to dress the part, you get to look well, and therefore there is an impact of what you wear and how you feel and how you conduct yourself. So, we've had a move towards the slightly more casual. Yet but not with tattoos, though. What? Not with guard commissioner will not allow tattoos. I would go the other way on that, all right? And I'm, I'm not traditional on that. You should absolutely be allowed to have tattoos. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to. But I think, particularly on the hats, I think even you see it, you see the clips of Shane McGowan's funeral in Dublin today. They're wearing the hats, they're wearing the formal gear, and I think there is an impact to that on the ground. I suppose, could they not use different uniforms? And they kind of do on it, don't they, for different purposes? You know, I mean, I think if you're trying to think about the, like at the moment, say Dublin, where we've had the issues with the protests and riots there recently, Part of the conversation around that was trying to get the Gardaí to have a better relationship with certain communities and young people, for example, and trying to get kind of more community Garda um, going. I mean, obviously, there's funding kind of stories behind that as well, too. But if you're talking about getting a relationship between young people and the Gardaí, I think having like an informal uniform where they look less like they're these serious, you know, you know, uh, people and more like we're kind of there to have a, you know, we're there to, we got baseball caps and we're kind of cool. Um, that might help if there's a little bit of informality uh, going on. I really think so. Well, I think there's an issue around how the Gardaí are seen by young people. So perhaps if there's a kind of a more of a casualness of, of how they appear. That said, I can understand the argument against that in the sense that people might say, well, you kind of have to have the iron fist in a way and you have to look okay. like you, you're wearing a certain thing. But let's move, to, let's move to other things which impact on people's money. Uh, what about Ryanair passengers? Is it true now that you have to queue for boarding passes in certain circumstances? Yeah, so people will be aware that Ryanair have started, I suppose, charging you to, to select a seat so you pay more to select a seat if you want to be next to who you're flying with or, or priority boarding what they've now started doing is if you don't pay for that you, you can no longer print out your boarding pass or have it on the phone you need to go and collect the boarding pass which is obviously a move to try to get more people to, to pay for the seats Ryanair have, have always had things like this where they've you know had extra charges but Michael Leary always used to justify it or explain it by saying it wasn't about the money he was trying to change people's behaviours and if you charge them they'll change the behaviours the simplest example was will you print out your boarding pass initially if you don't we'll charge you if we have to print it for and you and then you get the app on the phone and, and you have the app and it encourage people to in advance have it to speed things up this is the first time that I'm aware of that there's a charge for something that actually isn't designed to change behaviour other than buy a more expensive ticket so in some ways it is just a hidden charge in, in a different way to their other um, famous changes down the years um, and I wonder how people will react to it they'll probably just give Ryanair their money. Yeah, and I think they've just given up trying to care about customer service in the sense of, um, you know, trying to make people feel good when they go and buy an, a Ryanair ticket. They're like, we're giving you pretty cheap cheap flights, so you're just going to have to pay all these extra bits if you, you know, if you want to have your seat and just deal with it. Like, they don't, they don't go come to the school of, let's, you know, plum off and make our customers feel nice and happy when they're, when they're going through the experience. I'm going to ask you about tolls now, Aoife. Yeah. The first comment from a listener in Temple Oak who says, Taylor Swift has been instrumental in the massive upsurge in in Gen Z voter registration in the US yeah. he's huge influence in social media which is so important just now as democracy is on the line in the United States and that is certainly one of the reasons she's been named person of the year. We were talking about voter insurance earlier Aoife I think a lot of people very annoyed as well to discover that their tolls for using our roads are going up again in January. Yeah going up at tolls on 10 routes around the country including the M50 and the Dublin Tunnel they're going to increase that's the second time in the year um, that there's been an announcement that they're going to increase um, and apparently the TII Transport um, Infrastructure Ireland are go, are basing that increase on the annual rate of inflation which put it at 6.3%. So you look sceptical, Larkin. Inflation? So, yeah, there you go. 
Well, what cost have inflated uh, <laughs> that allowed them to increase it by 20%? Just inflation, well, what, okay? The general inflation. I mean, if they could... The road that, is there. Are, yeah, the road is already there. It's, it's been, already been built. Something has inflation somewhere. Yeah. The cost of paint. <laughs> the cost of paint to line the roads has gone up so they need to increase by 20%. If their salaries were going to increase, then perhaps, but yeah, I wonder if the salaries of the toll operators yeah. are going to increase. I another wonder. listener says, police in other countries wear baseball caps. I lived in Australia for nine years. The police there wore them, especially in the summer. Spanish and Turkish police wear them and still look tough, but that could be down to the guns. Okay, and one last one that I want both of you to tell me about. Uh, Aoife, can you define what Riz is for me, please? Riz, have you got Riz? Um, I have no idea. Have any of us here got Riz? I don't know if I've got Riz. Well, it's the Oxford Dictionary <laughs> Word of the Year, and I don't know what it means. Basically what does it means it mean? charisma. So really? Yeah, sure for charisma. So if you've got Riz or someone people want to be around, you're kind of cool, you know, I think you've got, you know, you've been charming. Um, there, was, there was an infamous re, uh, meme about Riz, a, a kind of totally incomprehensible headline that used the word Riz early this year and that's what got it on everybody's radar because nobody could understand what it, what it meant to the point that I can't even remember it. It was that bonkers. But yeah, it's one of the words that's been added um, to by the Oxford University Press to, to the dictionary. See, I thought um, it was for a rolly or something like that. No, oh, yeah, no Riz, Rizla papers, no. Yeah. Yeah, two thoughts on it. Number one, it is an interesting word in that, yes, it means charisma, but kind of directly uh, to like romantic attraction or yeah. sexual attraction to somebody, yeah. but in a different way than just like, just I'm attracted by you. Yeah. Um, so it's not a visual thing. It's right. I wasn't attracted to you. You started talking to me and there's an element of race to you or charisma to you. So it's kind of a word that does define something, this idea that you might not be conventionally attracted to them, um, but then you end up doing having a connection with them. And the second thing I find fascinating about it is that it's already been ruined. I had not heard about it at the start of the week. I've now heard way too much about it and as I was Googling it coming on, I saw Politico had some story that was rating politicians Riz Factor and it's like, you've already ruined it. Like, you've already ruined the word. It is the most uncool thing you can now possibly say and I hadn't even heard about it a week ago. Bet you'll see some Irish newspaper have the Irish politicians Riz Factors rated in the next few days after yeah. that. Thank you very much Lorcan Nyan from the Communications Clinic and Aoife Barry, author of Social Capital. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.